Hey everyone, welcome to the Love and Truth Church Savannah podcast. We are so glad you joined us. Our hope is for these teachings to be encouraging and uplifting and that they would help you grow in your relationship with God. Now, let's get ready to receive a powerful message from Pastor A.J. Fowler. have your Bibles, if you would, take them and turn to the book of John, chapter 11. John, chapter 11. Um, and as you're turning there, I want, I want to take a moment. Many of you, it's not hard to see what's going on in the culture right now around us. And uh, I've, I'm probably going to say a lot that's politically uh, incorrect, but that's okay because I don't really care uh, on that side of it because I know truth is truth and we've got to preach truth. Um, there, there's such, there, obviously I talked about the war over, child, over a child's heart. Uh, uh, if you can just look and see what's happening with our culture now, uh, and you can see, I mentioned this last week, but it bears, bears repeating, obviously. Who, who in their right minds would say to a six-year-old, you can make the decision on what gender you want to be and say that's okay? If you can't see that we have an issue with our culture, that our culture is wicked and crazy, I mean, that enough within and of itself says enough. And I, I believe that as the church, uh, yes, a lot, of, a lot of people have beat up on the church and said, well, we're not doing this and we're not doing that. That means us. That means you, right? Uh, and I, I refuse to say that first off is that uh, I'm not going to let a man whip up on my wife. So I'm not going to talk about his bride that way. So I believe that we've got a lot of adjusting to do, but we're going to we're going to see it. We're going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land that we're living in. You got to you got to not only prophesy it, but you got to walk it out and believe in what you say. So uh, I believe that that the church has to become a people that is presenting Jesus to the public sphere. We have to show him, show the culture Jesus. They have to see it. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about uh, so much uh, of an institution, but I'm talking about revealing the person of Jesus, which is the perfect and exact representation of the Father. But Isaiah 65 and verse 1 uh, lays out something that I love in this scripture text. And if you read Isaiah 65 for about four or five verses, you'll see how God's heart was toward the people because everybody always says, Old Testament God, he was just harsh and he was mean. No, he put his people in the refiner's fire because he was purifying a people to make them holy before all the nations of the earth. Because he was saying, this is my people and this is how they're going to live. So, the children of Israel are God's chosen people. We know New Testament, because of the blood of Jesus, we've been uh, uh, grafted into the kingdom of God. We're heirs and joint heirs with him through the blessing of Abraham and through Abraham, which is the father of faith. But he says here in this text, he prophesies through Isaiah, and he says, I permitted myself to be sought by those who did not ask for me. Now, we're in a culture right now where people are not asking for God. They're, 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 you can see that, Right? He said, I permitted myself to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here am I, here am I, to a nation which did not call on my name. Now, does that sound like a harsh, unloving, judgmental God? Not there it doesn't. It doesn't at all. 
He, his mercy endures forever. I just recently read, reading back through the Psalms, and one of the, the, the psalmist writes, he, he reads, a, who threw Pharaoh and his army into the sea, for his love endures forever. It's like he says a phrase, his love endures forever. His love, and it's like constant. It's a reminder that you're going to get sick and tired of hearing this, but my love does endure forever. God's love does. But he's also a just and a holy and a righteous God. So, yes, he is going to bring judgment into areas of our lives that interferes with the love of God. I could preach something whole right into that vein, but understand that God loves us too much to leave us the way that we are. So when we read this in light of this, I want you to understand that this is one. Uh, this will be the backdrop, and I'll read the foundation of where I'm going to preach from this morning, but this is the backdrop. God is permitting himself to be sought by a people that's not looking for him. In a culture right now, we're in a post-Christian nation. No longer are we. No, they say, well, this is a Christian nation. No longer. Uh, and, and much of the theological readings that I read back in 2014 and 2015 and even into 2016, a lot of what I studied when I was at, at, at going through Bible college and going through my classes was it was simply stating that we are in a post-Christian nation. He is no longer upheld as the sole authority, but he is a authority. But we understand that God is not manifesting in seven different ways. God is manifesting himself in one way through Christ. I said that last week. I'll say it again. It's a, Jesus is the door. There is no other door to the Father. You with me? Say amen if you agree. There we go. We got agreement. All right. So in John 11, verses 54 through 56 is where I'm going to be for the next little bit. <clears throat> I want to pull and talk to you about the, the focus of from present to public. Because we're going to read something kind of sad for just a moment. If you would, look at verse 54. It says, I'll give you some context to this in a moment. Therefore, Jesus no longer continued to walk publicly among the Jews, but went away from there to the region near the wilderness into a city called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went up to Jerusalem from the country prior to the Passover in order to purify themselves. So they were looking for Jesus... And saying to one another as they stood in the temple. They're looking for Jesus. And saying to one another as they stood in the temple. What do you think? That he will not come to the feast at all. They're standing in the temple and they're looking for Jesus. But Jesus is not in the temple. Now I get it. That's on that side of the cross before he resurrects. And he told his disciples, I'm with you but I'm going to come live in you. Right? This is, but... Let's put it in context of 2023, 2024. Jesus gathers with the two and three that gather in his name. My question is, is how many times do we gather, but we gather for all of the wrong reasons and not for the purpose and the reason of seeing him and being transformed by him. When I gather with the saints, it's so that I can be challenged. That's so that I can be corrected by the word of the Lord as he speaks so that I can encounter the presence of God because the presence is what transforms people. It's not I get, I, great. It's great to have a good oratorical message of a pastor or preacher or someone that's preaching or the worship or maybe it's a conversation with somebody in the foyer. But the, folk, the full focus and the goal of why we gather is to encounter Christ, to encounter the presence of the Lord which produces transformation. If you leave the same way that you came in and go back into the lifestyle that you walked out of or you're supposed to walk out of and nothing changes, my question is, what's changing? 
Are you thinking, processing? Now, let me just say this because I did not preface the first service with this. This message will be one that I love to be challenged. And maybe that's the way that I preach more times because I love for somebody to step on my toes a little bit and challenge me and help me to take my next step. Because as believers, we find comfortability in normal. And by the way, normal is just a story you tell yourself. Right? I wish I could say that was original with me, but that thought just came to me. But normal is the, is the narrative that you're telling yourself. Oh, this is normal. Oh, God, this is normal. We fight change, but life is constantly changing. Why? Right? You ever thought about that? So this morning, it's going to be a touch heavy. But I want to give you some things because I don't want you to leave anything on the table. You're, you're coming out of 2023 and walking into 2024. And many of us have coasted. Many of us have fought tooth and nail to be right where you're at right now. And understand that God's grace is so sufficient. The greater the battle, the greater the reward. Let me just say that for some of you because you need to hear it. You've fought hell and high water to get to where you are right now. But don't think for a moment that God does not reward those that are diligent in pressing towards him. Okay? So the people are in the temple. They're in the church. They're looking for Jesus, but they can't find Jesus. Because, again, the presence is what people really desire. It's not to hear some great message. Yes, but if the message doesn't reveal the author of the book, then what good is the message? If it doesn't talk about the grace of God, the mercy of the Lord, that it does endure forever. If it doesn't reveal the goodness of a kind, loving father, yes, he's austere because he is God, but he's also father. And he loves to tenderly pull me close and love on me. If it doesn't bring you to that point and let you see him, what good is what we're doing? We gather around him and not around a good message or a good worship service or a good whatever. So the presence is what people truly desire. Can you look back? Close your eyes for a moment. Can you look back to the last time that you encountered the presence of God and it made you, you felt this deep, I'm telling you, as you close your eyes right now, think about that moment. Maybe you begin to laugh. Maybe you begin to cry. Maybe you begin to feel overwhelmed with joy. When was the last time that you felt the presence of God overwhelm you where all you could see was him and all you could feel was him? Many of us are different in how we encounter the presence of God. Me, I weep whenever I encounter his presence. It just feels great. I feel the peace of God. When was the last time you truly felt peace? Many of us haven't felt peace in years. Because we're going through the motions of life and God said, I'm going to break you out of, the, out of the box of just this mundane going through the motions of your day. And I want to, I want to bring you something greater than that. And, and, and many of us, we can't remember the last time we actually encountered the presence of God. Because what, for whatever reason, Jesus has went from walking publicly with you to now he's private with you. I've got my, per yes, personal relationship with Jesus, so vital, it's so important. But he's private. He's present, but he's not public. No one around you truly knows how you stand and how you feel about him. Because your lifestyle doesn't speak to that. Again, this is going to prod you a little bit because I promise you, you don't want to take 2023 into 2024 with some of the things and some of the mindsets. I want to break that. I'm telling you, I've come by the help of the Holy Spirit to break a mindset this morning. Because it's the mind. It's the humanistic mind, but it's not of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, some of you, I want to pull you, I want to pull you through a door that your head won't fit. Only your spirit will go, but you've got to give up the right to understand and say, you're God. I don't understand it all, but you're doing it, so I'm going to trust you. You with me? Okay. So, as I just read to you, this 
phrase, he no longer continued to walk publicly. Why? Because the Jews struggle with fear of man. Fear of man, I preached that on a Wednesday night because all my life I've struggled with the fear of man up until the last few years as God just began to peel back the layers of areas of my life. Now, I know some of you may not struggle with that, but we all long to, to make sure everybody's happy, everything goes well, but it's just not always going to happen. You're going to make somebody mad by decisions you made or you didn't make or whatever happened. So the fear of man becomes a snare to somebody. And the Jewish nation all too well knew the fear of man because constantly now that you see it, when you read through the Gospels, you'll see for the fear of the, for the, fear of the, of the government, for the fear of um, this or the fear of that, the Jews were, were scared. It was just a constant uh, a state of fear that they, were, they, that they were in. And the fear of man always brings a snare. It snares you to your past. It snares you to people, which ultimately the only person we should be snared to or connected to is Christ. But we allow the opinions and thoughts of others to form how we feel, how we think, what we wear, what we say, where we go, what we do. And we don't allow God to form any aspect of our lives in that. So man has a grip on the nation of Israel. It said simply, he, Jesus no longer continued to walk freely for, uh, because the Jews were scared. If you read in verse 40, excuse me, 47, after he raises Lazarus from the dead. This is outside of salvation. Salvation is the greatest miracle, by the way, in case anybody's wondering. But outside of salvation, I would say the next greatest miracle, now this is me, is raising somebody from the dead, which still happens today. may not happen as much, but it still happens today. And Jesus raises his best friend from the grave, calls his name, comes out, and then we see that the Jews from that moment got so frustrated. Excuse me, the Pharisees, they got so frustrated in verse 47. Then the chief priest and the Pharisees convened a council meeting, and they were saying, what are we doing in regard to this fact that this man has performed many signs? If we let him go on like this, all the people will believe in him. Now, that's a great thing. But listen what they said next. Now, this is not in, this is not in your notes. It's not on the side screens. But in verse 48, and it says, and the Romans will come and take over both our place and our nation. So there's a fear of man rooted in their decision to keep him hidden. We can't let people know. we we got to stop him. And from that moment, they plotted to kill him. Well, look what happened because of their decision to do that. Therefore, Jesus no longer continued to walk publicly. He was present to his disciples. He was present to a few, but he was, com- he, he was, he was closed off to the public. And so with you, take it into your personal life. And let it become an X factor to you this morning in areas of your life. I'm not talking about you got to go stand on the street corner and preach. If that's what God calls you to do, by all means, knock yourself out. But what I'm saying is that is there a line that's drawn where people can look at you and, and, and not even hear it, have a conversation from you, but just know there's something, you have somebody with you. It seems like there's, there is this, this, this presence about you. Every time we come around you, every time we talk to you, something's different about you. Does your life testify to that? That's a question that you you can only answer between you and the Lord. Me too. I'm having to work out my salvation with God with fear and trembling just as we all have to. But does my life speak something greater than AJ is conducting it? Because if I leave my life to myself then it'll lead into a path of destruction and mayhem 
I'll become more critical and cynical, and I won't pursue anything that's godly because humanity left to themselves literally becomes demonic in nature. Look at our nation. We want to remove God from it. Well, what's going to happen? By default, you're giving ground to the enemy. Any ground that you forfeit, the enemy takes over by default. i got to get on point. Stay with it. I'm just, I, I, I just feel such a, an urgency in my spirit, whether anybody gets it or not. I have such an urgency in my spirit this morning to bring to you a message that hopefully awakens you to the reality of the goodness of God and what he wants to do now because time is of the essence. Look around you. This story again comes on the heels of the resurrection of Lazarus. And when Jesus, when Jesus begins to reveal himself, there's a group of people that are always critical. There's a group of people, and actually there's two different uh, groups of people, and I love what A.W. Tozer talked about. He said that, that when, when Jesus performs or when God performs a miracle, two groups of people hit their knees. The first one is the unbeliever or the religious spirit. That's not positive, by the way. The critical, the cynical, they hit their knees to put it under a magnifying glass and look at the miracle and scrutinize what God did not do. Well, he didn't do this, but he, yeah, I'm going to understand, but he didn't do this. Now, I'm saying this so you can listen and put yourself in one of these two categories. The next is when God performs a miracle, there's a group of people that they hit their knees in awe and reverence in the fear of the Lord and worship and say, look at what he just did. Look at what he just did. Look at what he just did. There's, a, there, there's something about those, and that's the two groups of people that you see. And my point is, is that Jesus is present in the text, but he's not public anymore. Jesus is working, but he's working behind the scenes in many of them because he's pulled his disciples close to him and begin to move. So my question to us is, what keeps Jesus revealed? Or excuse me, what keeps Jesus from being revealed? What keeps Jesus hidden? Well, I've got a few things. There's probably a lot, but these are four I feel to preach to you this morning. So I'm going to talk about that, and you can obviously look at the the, 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 in, the inverted aspect of it, and you'll see the difference, the opposite. The first thing is this, is unbelief. Really simplistic, we understand. With people that don't believe, then, then God is kind of limited to what he can do, right? The unbelief prevents God from moving in the supernatural in different ways in our life. Unbelief will silence and stop the moving of the Holy Spirit just like that in your life. Some of us teeter between what we can do and that far-fetched idea that God is supernatural and he can do the impossible, we just don't ever see it. But we lean more towards, what can I do? Well, I've just got to make it happen. There'll come a point, I promise you, there will come a point, either it's physically, emotionally, mentally, relationally, financially, and somewhere in your life, you will come to the end of yourself and you will have to make a decision Do I really believe that God is God or do I believe myself to be God? You will come to the end of yourself and have to make that decision. Anybody ever been there? I have. I really have. You will have to look up to see the bottom, right? For lack of better phrases and terms. But unbelief will stop any work of the Lord in your life. Uh, This won't be up on the side screen, but if you have your Bibles... Flip over really quick. This is an important verse to Hebrews 11 and verse 6. 
Oh, yeah, wait, wait, I'm sorry. You got it, Seth. Sorry, it was my fault. First service. It's great to have a great booth. Listen, it's like, you know, until, you, until we mess up, that's when everybody's like, oh, my gosh, what are they doing back there? <laughs> anyway, stop having conversation. Um, without faith, without believing in God, without faith, it is impossible to please him. It is impossible to make, uh, uh, I don't know, for lack of my mind, to make God, uh, to please God and make him happy in any as- aspect of life is if I don't have any belief. For the one who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he proves to be the one who rewards those who seek him. So belief is what's needed to please God in all aspects of your life. Quenching the Holy, let me tell you, unbelief will quench the work of the Holy Spirit in your life just like that. We talk about, the Bible talks about in Ephesians, don't quench the Holy Spirit, or uh, do don't, don't quench the Holy Spirit and also don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. What does quenching deal with? It, feel, it deals with power. So whenever there's unbelief, whenever I don't believe, whatever it may be, I'll, can I give you just one thing that I think a lot of times is what leads into that? Life can hit you hard, we know that, but a lot of times the reason why there's a lot of unbelief in our personal life and we don't believe that God can work in the supernatural is because there's a lack of word, a lack of word. There's not enough word in me. I don't get the word in me. I mean, it's important to make sure that I'm reading and I'm getting a flow of the word of God into my life, and some of you, that's the decision you personally need to make today. you got a prayer life. You just don't read. You got to get scripture in you. This, when this gets in you and it begins to, and it's consecutive, and, and you get those those uh, those annoying notifications from you version Bible app that blows you up every day at the same time you thought it was great. Whenever you first set it to hit me up at four o'clock in the afternoon to make sure that I'm reading my whatever I'm reading, and it constantly comes. Some of us need to set those reminders to make sure word is getting in us because you can't get out what you don't put in, right? That's the, that's the way that that works. So I need to make sure because from the word of God comes believing and, and, and faith. That's where that comes. Faith comes by hearing. Well, I, I get it. In the natural, you, you hear that. But also, as Solomon said, God, give me a hearing heart. And I was telling the first service, and when you take the word heart and you remove the T off the end of it, what do you get? Hear. So you've got to have a hearing heart. So as I read scripture, I've got to listen to what he's saying as I'm reading scripture. Because it's, he's instilling with me the words of life. Uh, uh, we, we say this often, we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other truth except for him, by the way. Uh, again, our culture tries to tell us that the truth is relative. You have yours, that one has theirs, and this is mine, and this is what I believe. No, 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 no. There's one truth. I, I want to make sure that you get that. There's only one truth, and his, and his name is Jesus. And, and it's, Jesus goes on to say in that text of Scripture, in John 10, he says, the thief comes only. That's the only way that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We always say the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the only thing he's coming for is to kill you, to steal from you, and to destroy everything around you. That's his main objective, and that's his MO. So why do I allow unbelief to be sown into my life? Either, well, yeah, but pastor, I haven't really, I don't understand. I've just got a lot of fear in my life. Well, we say that faith faith is the opposite of fear. I'm, I'm sorry, that's wrong. Trust is the opposite of fear. You've got to develop a foundation of trust in your life. And then from trust, whenever you distrust God, regardless of what happens, you know that he's God, right? And so on top of the trust that's built in my life, faith begins to stand on the shoulders of the quiet trust. 
and then faith is established, and now you've got a pillar for success in your supernatural journey with the Lord. You got it? It's not that God won't move. It's that he can't because we've limited him by our unbelief. We don't believe God will, therefore he won't. Jesus in his own hometown. You've read it. In Nazareth, people became so familiar with him. Whenever they heard him speak in the synagogue for the first time, they said, who in the world is this? Until somebody in the back of the room stood up and said, oh, that's just, you know, that's Mary and Joseph's son. And then I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. They missed the Messiah in a moment because somebody that carried a little bit of influence stood up and said, that's just Jesus. We're familiar with a God that we barely know because he's the God of the, Jesus, I, I wish I could, I can't get out every thought that I want to give to you right now in this moment, but just understand, God's way bigger than your head. He's way bigger than you could, he's, he's better than you could think. The only thing he could do in his hometown is he could heal a few people, and that's it. That's what it says. Now, this one I'm about to tell you. This is very important. If you don't get anything else this morning, get this. I heard a quote that came a few days after one of my favorites preached on a Sunday after his wife passed away. He stood up on the stage, and he's going through, and people are just hanging on to every word, obviously, because he's just walked through the toughest season, or he's, he's beginning to walk through the toughest season of losing his wife. He makes this quote. It's Pastor Bill Johnson. He says, the backslider in heart will always judge God by what he did not do. Obviously, people want to see those that are sick be healed. God wants to see, or we, we want to see things happen in the way we want them to happen. And whenever we don't see that, if God doesn't show up the way that we expected him to, Mary and Martha, right, they're the same scenario, we, start, we judge him. Well, he's not really that good. So let me say it again. The backslider in heart will always judge God by what he did not do. We will always criticize God. Well, yeah, but you didn't do this. You didn't show up right here. You didn't do that. So it's, it's, a, it's a check. It's a heart check to you this morning. Maybe you're here and you don't know what you believe. You just got invited and you showed up. Maybe you're struggling with a lot of unbelief this morning. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're, you're on, the, on, the, on, the, uh, uh, on the fence about believing in God. Maybe you're agnostic. You believe that there is a God, but you just don't know who he is. Most of those atheists that I've encountered and talked with, and even the pagan that I told you guys about some months back, came on the hills, their belief system came on the hills of losing somebody that they love very much. But my question to you is, oh, it's quiet in here. My question to you is, what keeps Jesus revealed in you? What's, what, what, what's, what's keeping? Is it unbelief? Second thing is unforgiveness. I've got to work quicker on this one because I know that this is where we all have issues. Let me say this. By the way, 
Unforgiveness will keep you out of heaven. I love you, and I'm going to tell you the truth. Unforgiveness will keep you out of the kingdom of heaven. People say, well, what about the, the, you know, all this stuff that's going on? They're sleeping around homosexuals, heterosexual sin. They're, I mean, they're just, you know, the reveries, the drunkenness, all this stuff. Oh, that's just Unforgiveness will too. Many people in our lives, and that's why it's, it has, it's, so, it's so important. You get before Holy Spirit, and even right now you could do it. Holy Spirit, talk to me. Is there an area of my life where I'm in unforgiveness? Doesn't make what they did to you right. You have to forgive. Jesus preaches on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, I want you to first, he said, if you've realized that you've got something against your brother and there's unforgiveness in your heart, I want you to leave your gift on the altar. He's talking about an offering. I'm not getting into that. I don't want to bind any spirits, but he, he's talking about leaving your offering on the altar. You go back and be reconciled with your brother, and then you come back and get your gift. Let me say this on this side of it, because some of us have some in, in, incredible spiritual gifts or gifts in general, like that, that God has called you. He's gifted you to do things with your hands, but your gifts are ineffective because there's, un, there's unforgiveness. And so there's been no, God, forgive me. I'm not saying you got to go to him. And, and grovel around. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that. But you get along with the Lord and you say, God, I'm sorry. And I'm choosing to release them to you. No, I don't, it don't feel good. I don't want I, I to forgive them. They don't deserve it according to my standard. Well, first off, there's only one that did, right? And there was only one that could hold any hard feelings or anything. And his response as he was beaten and held on a cross was, Father, forgive them, right? He released. He released those that beat him and put him on the cross, so our gifts become ineffective because we have unforgiveness. So I have to be willing to release them. Now let me, let me say this. I have to forgive, but it doesn't mean that I have to walk back in relationship with them. All right? I have to forgive them because I can't see heaven if I don't. And there's no instance or any, there's no, God doesn't have any type of, well, we'll let this slide. But no, no, no. I have to forgive them. But that doesn't mean I have to walk back into relationship with those people. And I've said this a lot. I don't mean this uh, jokingly, but if that's your spouse, you do have to figure that out, right? <laughs> I want to laugh. Some of you are laughing a little bit. But you don't get to walk out of that relationship. <clears throat> now, again, remember, it takes one to forgive and takes two to reconcile. Reconciliation means the relationship has been restored, okay? All right, I'm keep moving. Um, Number three, I wasn't going to spend a long time on that because I knew. <clears throat> the third one is this, unholy. So we've got unbelief, unforgiveness. Now we're moving into an unholy lifestyle, unholiness within my life. What does that look like? Well, let me read this in 1 Peter um, chapter 13. It says here uh, in the Amplified Version, I love this, so prepare your minds for action. Be completely sober in spirit, steadfast, self-disciplined, spiritually and morally alert. That's like, he's saying, is this just not something? Yes, it's supernatural, but there's some things that you have to do. Fix your hope. He's saying, he's not saying God will do this for you. He's saying you fix your hope completely on the grace of God that is coming to you when Jesus Christ is, it's the word, revealed. What are we talking about? From present to public and revealing Jesus, right? Number 14, live as obedient children of God. Do not be conformed to the evil desires which governed you in your ignorance before you knew the requirements and the transforming power of the good news regarding salvation. 
But like the Holy One who called you, what does he say? Be holy yourselves in all of your conduct. Here's your conduct. Be set apart from the world by your godly character and your moral courage. Because it is written, this is a commandment, you be holy, be set apart for I am holy. And that doesn't mean be perfect. If I am striving, and I say striving, some people struggle with that word, but if I am striving to do the best that I possibly can to love him and let him love me, follow after the precepts and the commandments of the Lord and pursuing him in daily walk and relationship, and I'm going to make mistakes. That's why uh, Paul says the Lord spoke to me. He said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Grace is not a license to sin. It's an empowerment to walk upright and live a holy lifestyle. That's what grace is. I'm going to say it again. Grace is not a license to sin. People take that and say, well, if I mess up, God will cover it. No, your attitude's completely wrong, and you're veering off course. That's, that's not what it is at all. But grace is an empowerment through the Holy Spirit given to me that it's scandalous. I didn't deserve it. He just gave it <clears throat> so that I can walk upright and walk this highway of holiness that he calls me to walk on. Because when I make a mistake, it's not going to be because I wanted to make a mistake in that regard. But it's that I, I know I'm going to, I'm going to find it in some way. Something's going to happen, and i got to find repentance. But I understand that God is there. The grace of God. It's just the covering, the presence of the Lord on my life to empower me to walk upright with Him. Holiness is a lifestyle that is developed by seeing Jesus daily. It's not some... It's not some, somebody tell well, you need to do this, and you need to do this, and you need to do this. That's not what holiness is. Holiness comes out of a relationship. It doesn't come out of, out of a, a, um, some man telling me or some woman telling me, you need to do that. I understand with children, it's a little bit different. We've got to keep them on the straight and narrow for the most part. But we want them to understand the relationship aspect of who God is. We want them to encounter him that makes me not make a list of do's and don'ts, but that I love him so much that I say no to these other things. Here's the last thing. Ungrateful. Unbelief, unforgiveness, unholy lifestyle, and ungratefulness. These all keep Jesus from being revealed. This is what he's present with me behind closed doors in private, but he's not public. He's been quenched or he's been grieved. We grieve Holy Spirit by how we live our lives. What does that mean? That means that he can't move in the way that he would like to because of what we're thinking, what we're saying, and how we're living. So he's grieved, right? Being, we, we sung this last song this morning, and it's one of my favorites, and uh, it's called Gratitude. In every season of my life, 1 Thessalonians says this, in every season of my life, I can give thanks. Yeah, but I didn't see this and I didn't see that. I talked to somebody at the end of the first service and they said, I'm just going to tell you, I'm just thankful I made it to the end of 2023. I think a lot of us were. I lost my sister when I was 33. I think, I, well, I was about to turn 33. And uh, so I had a fear that she was 39. I had a fear that I would not see 39, or excuse me, I would not see 40. I'm telling you, I've turned 40 this year. Thank God. So I'm just going to tell you, every morning I get up, one of my 
personal uh, declarations is, um, well, or just one of my personal prayers is, God, thank you for the gift of life today. It's a gift. You didn't have to give it to me. I know that my days were numbered in my book that you've got up there, but thank you for today. And it starts right there. My gratitude starts right, that's my seed that begins to build. I go from thank you for the gift of life to then looking at what God's blessed me with and family. And I'm, I've, I've said this before, but God, if you don't do another thing in my life, you've done so much. You've done so much. I'm going to talk about me for a moment. I look around. I was put under one of the greatest. I know that we all got our quirks and our issues and our flaws. One of the greatest men of God to teach me about ministry ever. Because there is a lack of character and integrity in ministry today, which is why many walk away from the church and never return. I'm not saying that we don't make our mistakes, but I was put under one of the greatest men, and we all cut up all the time, Pastor Eddie and a few of us. If Pastor Philip didn't make it, we don't stand a chance. <laughs> For those of you all that know Pastor Philip, you know. But God put me under someone that taught me, make sure behind closed doors that you're conducting your business right and honest. Make sure that you're willing to go sit in the room with somebody that's down the road further than you and have a conversation and tell them what's going on in your world. These were things that I learned to do and I'm so thankful for. And so many of us, you may not have been raised up in that. And maybe you need to find that, but there's something. And I learned this from even recently with Pastor Chris Hodges. I'm going to find one new thing a day and, and thank God for it. It's going to be, and I, I mean, it, it is. And maybe it's some of the, some of the, the, the attributes of my children and things that, that, that I see. But just finding something every day and cultivating a heart of gratitude. Because what stops Jesus from, from being public in your life is ungratefulness. It's a lifestyle of, of, of entitlement. Many of us think, well, I, I just walk up and here it is. God's, God's gift has arrived, right? But that's not the way that it is. Even the one, the greatest of all of us that showed up, stepped foot on planet earth, the Bible says that he came to serve, not to be served, and to give his life as a ransom. He came to serve and give. That's what he came for. I'm not entitled to anything. Let me, let me say this so you'll get it. This hopefully will break this in your mind. It's like, well, but I've been doing this. I've been, I feel like I've got it. Stop. God owes me no explanation for anything that he does. He doesn't. I know we feel that. We're in the land of opportunity. God owes me this. God, no, no, he doesn't. He's God. He doesn't owe me anything. And the mystery of God will always be greater than the understanding of God. Even when he reveals himself to you, you're still going to have so many questions. I, I understand now a lot of those old timers when they would stand up and preach and talk about the older that I get, the less that I understand of who God is. Because it's like once you discover a facet about him, and it's like it's not so much of you're in the dark and you're ignorant, but it's just like a depth of the goodness of God that you can't even explore. Or it's the depth of the mercy of God that you can't find the end of. And all you have to do is just stop with your human understanding. But man, he's so good. He's so good. And when you see him touch somebody's life that has been running from God and you never thought that graced the doors of a church and they repent and return, then all of a sudden that makes the goodness of God go to a different level. Maybe that's just the pastor in me. I don't know. 
you'll never explore him in full. Even in eternity, we're going to look before him. We're going to stand before him, and we're going to be, it's, we're going to be, look, look at this, look at that side of him. We've never seen that of him. Look at him. A million years. Look. Just look at him. <laughs> that comes to a meme, but look at him. Look how beautiful that he is. Look how awesome that he is. We've never seen that before. We're just barely scratching the surface on the goodness of God. But I've got to learn how to flip the script in my life if I'm ungrateful. Because of our lack of thanksgiving, we become entitled. You no longer view the blessing of God as a blessing, but accomplished by your own strength and your own hand. Let me say this. Jesus... And this, I hope, hopefully this helps to cultivate a heart of gratitude. How many of you would say that Jesus is your friend? I know, it's just, okay, go with me. All right. How many of you would say that Jesus is your Lord? My question to you is what came first? This is not an egg or the chicken question. <laughs> Which came first? The friendship with God or the Lordship of Christ? Lordship. Because he showed you yourself and how bad you needed him. Is God my friend? Absolutely. But he was my Lord before he was ever my friend. Some of us treat him in a casual manner. Oh, God won't care. He's holy. Remember that. That means he's unlike any other. Let me tell you about friendship and lordship. My friendship with the Lord can only go where the lordship with him has already been. My lordship with God is always going to be probably the same level. My friendship with God will always be the same level to the lordship of Christ. Does that make sense? So what does it mean that he's your Lord? Because we're in America, we don't understand the whole aspect of, of a monarchy, right? What does that mean? That means that as Lord, he owns all of me. That he owns, he owns my family. He owns my finances. He owns my home. He owns my vehicle. He owns my, my house. I'm just a steward of what I've been given. So when you see it from that light, it begins to change your perspective towards gratitude, right? So that's why... Whenever you're struggling in areas of your life, it's great because you're not doing it by yourself. Put it on a notepad. I'm telling you how many times I did it, not just recently. Come in here and wrote some things down, my struggles, and I put them on a notepad and I put them on the altar. And I said, Lord, you're my Lord. What are we going to do about this? I know that sounds crazy to some of us, but I believe that he's Lord. Everything about me, my marriage, my children, my future, the future of this house, it's all his. I'm just stewarding and I've got to do that well. And it changes my perspective to understand, God, I thank you that you've placed me where you've placed me. But you're my Lord. Is there any area of your life where Jesus doesn't own you because of fear or greed? I'm going to ask you again so you know, is there any area of your life where Jesus doesn't own because of my fear or my greed? Fear grips in so many different ways. Trust releases the hand and says, whatever. God, you know. Right? 
So just to review this really quick, and we're going to go to some ministry time. Here, here's some of us. I know we use this phrase a lot, next step. But some of you, need, you have a next step right here and right now. We're about to close the chapter on 2023 and how fast this just came, went, and it's gone. The Holy Spirit has confronted some things in many of you this morning. I have 100% no doubt. And so some of you, here it's simple, but here's your next steps. It's going back through. Some of you just simply need to believe. You don't know what you believe. And it's starting with belief in Jesus that gave his life. You could not save yourself. I don't care how good you are. It doesn't matter how much you gave away. You can give away houses and vehicles and all those things. You can't do enough good deeds because it's not of works lest anyone should boast. Salvation's a free gift, and you need to start a belief, and that's between you and him. Just repent. What does repent mean? He's revealing himself to you, the goodness of God. He's going from present to going public with you, and you begin to move in a way. I'm just telling you. So it starts at, at believing the second thing is some of you need to, you need to forgive some people that's wounded you deeply. I'm not telling you it's easy. It's just the step. It's your next step. You need, it started with confession. God, I choose to forgive. It's not a feeling. It's a choice. I choose to forgive so-and-so, this, that, or the other. The third thing, I talked about the opposite of holy, of, of unholy, is to now be Holy. And that comes from looking at Jesus. Engulf yourself into the Gospels and look at his life. Put him under the microscope, not in the sense to prove him not to be who he is, but to say, all right, show me. Show me, Jesus. Show me. Show me. And the fourth thing is to walk in gratitude. Be thankful for what you have, where you are, and what you're doing. If you don't like it, seek God. Change it. Shift it. Some of you, you'll never change the people around you. So you need to change the people around you. You got it? Shut the door on relationships and don't bring them into 24. Walk away from them. It's easy. Stay out of the lifestyle that is status quo and complacent. Now, if you would, stand to your feet. It would seem that Jesus only manifests himself or shows himself and demonstrates his nature in atmospheres where he's celebrated and not tolerated. Do you celebrate his presence in your personal home? Are you ashamed of him and when people come around? Is he private to you and not public? We're going to take the next few moments and we're going to worship a little bit. Um, Worship team, if you're up here, I don't know where you're at. Please make your way to the stage quickly, 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 quickly. But we're going to spend some time in worship. And listen, if you need to go, it's completely fine. First service, we had quite a few that came down to the altars. But you don't want to take anything into 2024 that's supposed to die in 2023. Well, do you understand what the altars meant for? Altar in Old Testament meant that something had to die. We're not going to kill you. But maybe your flesh needs to die. Maybe some old thought patterns needs to die. Maybe some things need to shift before you walk out this church. We don't want to leave the same way that we came in. Maybe it's you, you, have, you, you have a lack of peace. There's no peace in your life. Maybe it's a constant fear. I'm just constantly worrying about this, that, or the other. I'm not saying that making a trip down to the altar can absolutely change you because we have to start with us. But 
Maybe there's some things that's pursuing you that God says, well, you come to the altar. There's going to be a divine exchange. I'm going to give you garments of praise in exchange for a spirit of heaviness. Depression. The anxiety. What culture's putting up? There's more people struggling with anxiety in this day and age ever because there's a pressure to prove it. Right? There's such a pressure to prove things to people that we have no business proving. You've only got one to show yourself to, and that's him. Study to show yourself approved to him. Right? Thank you, Lord. Come on, let's just close your eyes for just a few moments. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you are able to take something from this sermon and apply it to your life. Also, feel free to share this with your friends and family. And if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at loveandtruthchurchsavannah at gmail.com. We hope you have a great week.